we've been in this series now. This is our second week uh, in this new series uh, called Road Trip, uh, Discovering the Adventure God Has for You. And so together we're going to uh, kind of travel uh, on a journey and discover uh, the adventure that I think that God has for you. Now last week, if you were with us, uh, you'll know that we talked about orienting the map, being able to read the map, uh, getting things kind of positioned the right way so that we have the right perspective as we look at this journey, as we look at this adventure that God has for us. And really we said that, hey, it's centers on Jesus. Everything uh, about uh, our lives has to center on Jesus or we're going to miss it. Um, And that's so critical and that really is the starting point of your adventure with God. Um, But if I was going to send my family uh, on a road trip, um, the first thing I would do is I would tell them, hey, don't forget where you're going. Don't forget how to read the map. But secondly, be ready for whatever might happen. Be ready for a detour. Be ready for roadblocks. Be ready for breakdowns. Be ready for things that might you know, hinder your journey. And I, I learned this a few years ago um, as we were taking a road trip uh, from the great state of Colorado where we get to live now in the beautiful mountains and forests to where we're from, the not as great state, in my opinion, as uh, of, of Kansas where we grew up. And, um, and so uh, if you've made that drive, you know how wonderfully exciting the journey from Lyman to wherever you're going is. Um, as long as you're going east, it's pretty much all the same. Uh, and so we were headed out that way, and um, we got to about Hayes, Kansas, and I went to push on the brake, and uh, it worked, but it made a really disturbing noise, <laughs> a grinding kind of noise, not the noise you want to hear when you push on the brake. And so we pulled over at a rest stop, and I um, began to diagnose the problem, and, and I quickly realized uh, that the problem likely started with me because I had changed the brakes the day before in preparation for this trip. Now, some of you have heard my car stories before, and you know what a great mechanic I am, so I know you're shocked that the brakes were not correct after I had worked on them. However, <clears throat> they were not. And so as I was diagnosing the problem, um, I went right to uh, the brakes where I I thought the problem was. And um, as I uh, was diagnosing that, I could uh, see that what appeared to be a missing piece. Again, not what you're wanting to hear when you're in Hayes, Kansas, miles from anywhere, fun at least. And so um, we began to test this, and I could actually see the entire brake mechanism moving on the rotor as the car moved. It was not good. Um, a further diagnosis proved that there was a bolt about this long, about this wide, uh, big around, that I had somehow forgotten to put back in to hold the caliper in place. It's very exciting. Now, also, it made our, what should have been an eight-hour trip to Wichita, Kansas, take about 12 hours in the diagnosis, in the fixing, in the correcting, in the trying to find a part that would work, right? Trying to make this happen. And so, but it was critical that we do that. It was pretty critical that we spend the time to figure out what was wrong. This could have been disastrous. Now, fortunately, we found a makeshift part uh, in a town nearby. I was able to kind of piece it back together, and it got us to Wichita where we could find a real mechanic to fix the problem. And so uh, that's what we did. Um, and we made it. God was with us. It was, it was great. It was a super great adventure. And look, you get to hear about it now in this sermon. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, so, um, so we made it to Kansas. Um, but I tell you that story for this reason, all right? If I had just kept going and not diagnosed the problem, it could have been disastrous, 
right? I mean, not having a break is not a good thing. At least that's what mechanics tell me. And so I'm pretty sure it could have been just a horrible, horrible ending to that story. Uh, And you probably never would have heard about it, except for maybe on the news, had I not stopped to diagnose the problem. Now, this is what I want you to understand. So often in our lives... We experience hard times, we experience difficult things, we experience opposition, we experience roadblocks, difficult things, right? And these things happen and we just ignore them. We just, we don't take time to understand what's going on or we assume that we know what the problem is and so we go with that. And so what I want to do today is just really take some time to understand what do we do when times get hard and the right Uh, application of this, the right thing to do is to stop and examine the cause. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to examine the cause of why times get hard, what is going on here. And and I'm going to really teach you and equip you, I hope, through God's word, how to examine the difficult things in your own life, how to diagnose them, how to understand uh, what that problem is. You know, my mechanic tried to do that for me with my car, and I said, forget it, I'm just going to bring it to you. You guys don't do that, okay? I'm going to teach you how you can diagnose these things in your own own lives. I want you to be equipped to do that. And so to do that, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to put the text up on the screen as well. It's Genesis chapter 3. Now, as you're turning there, let me get us uh, some background information here. Uh, Genesis is the story of the creation of the world, the beginning of all things, um, how God made the world, how he started this plan off. Um, And what I want you to hear is that we believe here uh, that Adam and Eve were real people, that they really existed, that they really were in a perfect world before sin entered the world, that they really did walk with God. And the reason that we believe that isn't necessarily because it's written in the book of Genesis, but we believe that because Jesus himself seemed to believe that Adam and Eve were real people. And Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus was able to predict his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled off exactly what he was predicting that he would do, that he would die and come back to life three days later. And anybody who can do that, predict that, and then actually pull it off, we're going to trust what he says, okay? We're just kind of going to go with what he uh, says is true. And so because he believed that these were real people, we believe also that they were real people. And it's written in his word, uh, this story about Adam and Eve. And what we find is that they're in perfection. Uh, They're in the world before anything was broken, before any evil, before any sin, before any broken entered the world, uh, and they're living there, they're walking with God, they're in perfect unity with one another, they're in perfect unity with the world, and they're in perfect unity with God. And, and we know that because they're walking with God and they're unashamed, they're naked together and they're unashamed, and also the world is just producing fruit for them. It says uh, in Genesis 2 that, uh, that the world is just going to produce fruit, that, that they're just going to be able to eat the fruits and the vegetables that are just going to grow naturally, they don't have to work for it, and so they're in this perfect relationship with all all of creation, including God himself. And then something happens. God has given them one command. Don't do this one thing. And they're tempted and they're deceived and they do this thing and the world becomes broken. For those of you who know the story, who are familiar with it, you know that uh, the enemy comes, Satan comes in the form of a serpent and tempts them to eat of the fruit that God said, do not eat of this fruit, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They ate of it. And as soon as they did, their eyes were opened. They understood what was right and what was wrong. They understood good and evil. Before they had only known good, they had only known what was right. And now they also knew evil and they were naked and they felt ashamed. And that's where our story picks up in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. This is what happened. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, they're hiding from God. Does that ever work? Okay. But they're hiding from God. And they heard the sound. And God called to them, uh, to the man, and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, now pay attention here because this is important. Okay. Now, I know this has never happened to you. But in this story... The man says, the woman, the woman, by the way, God, you put her here. The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So what do we see? The initial response when things go wrong. What is the initial response from the very beginning? We blame what, my favorite part of this passage, just, I'm just going to share this with you. My favorite part of this is when Adam goes, you put her here, right? Like it's God's fault, right? Like God had something to do with this sin that Adam committed. It's God's fault because he created this wonderful gift that is the woman and put her there to be with Adam, but it's God's fault. But isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we find ourselves doing. That when things go wrong, we blame. And we often blame each other or we blame God. If you're married in this room, don't resist the temptation, rather, to nudge your spouse, to squeeze a hand, to, to give that look. But how many times has your spouse or have you been the one who blames your spouse for something, right? They're completely unrelated, right? My wife isn't even in the house, Right? She's gone. She's at work. She's been at work for six hours, but it's her fault somehow, right? And if it's not her fault, it's certainly God's fault. God, this is, why did you do this to me, right? I mean, that's just our natural tendency. Haven't you done that? You blame God for things, but there's a better way. Uh, There's a a woman who's uh, gaining some popularity, some TED Talks, and she's a social scientist. Her name is Brene Brown, uh, and she says, she describes blame as this. It is the discharge of of the negative emotions. It's the discharge of the anger, uh, of the guilt, of the shame. of that. That's all it is. Blame is simply you discharging that negativity onto someone else. And so uh, as I began to think about this, I think it's a lot like monkeys who pick things up and throw them at people. Some of you got that. Um, monkeys are known to throw a very disgusting substance. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but that's what it is, right? When we blame, that's what we're doing. We're picking up our stuff and throwing it at somebody else. That's all we're doing. And so blame is not helpful, but there is a better way. Now, now blame, this is the problem for us. See, blame and examining get really, really, there's a really fine line between determining the cause and finding blame. And so we've got to walk that line carefully uh, because it is important to determine the cause, to examine the cause, to understand what's going on here, uh, but to not to blame. And so what we find in this very, very first passage, uh, the, a great question to ask when you're examining the cause, when you're trying to diagnose that problem, a great question to ask, probably the first good question to ask. And if you're following along in the bulletin, you know that there's going to be four of these questions. But the first of four to ask is this, am I in step with God? So when times get hard, we examine the cause. And the first question we ask is, am I in step 
with God. Now, before I say anything else about this, I need to give a disclaimer. You'll notice that this is the first of four questions that we're going to ask. It's not the only question. It's not the, the most significant question, right? These are all equal. But here's the thing. It's the one we have the most control over. It's the easiest one to diagnose. It's the one that we can see the easiest. But the problem is that in church world especially, what we tend to do is go, oh, something is wrong. Who sinned? Something's not going right. Somebody's not doing what God asked them to do. Well, that's not always the case. Sometimes it is. What we find here with Adam and Eve is that was the case. They didn't do what God asked them to do, and so they had the consequences of sin put on them. But it's not always the case. And so, guys, you got to stick with me through this whole thing, because otherwise we become judgmental and blaming people for their own circumstances when it's not actually their fault. Okay, so just, that's my disclaimer. But this is a good first question to ask, because oftentimes, when things go wrong, we aren't in step with God. We, we do miss this, right? Let me give you an example. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I, this is before we worked here at the church, my wife and I, we were kind of struggling uh, financially. And I, I made decent money, um, but we were like, man, why don't we have any money? Why don't we have money to go on vacation? Why don't we have money to afford? Like, our friends can afford these things. What, what are we doing? Um, and come to find out, um, we weren't using our money God's way. We weren't following God's plan with our money. We weren't being good stewards of that money. And so what had happened is um, we had decided that we wanted things quicker than we should have gotten them, and so we had a credit card. Anybody got a credit card? Don't raise your hands. I don't know. Right, but we had a credit card, right? And so we were in debt, thousands of dollars of debt. And so we had these payments going to our credit card. And so that, when I looked at it, I'm like, man, if we didn't have this credit card debt, we could do all kinds of stuff, right? So here's, here's what happens in that scenario. Man, God, why did you give us all this credit card debt? Come on now. Who gave us credit? I, that was me. That was my choice. That was us not being good stewards, not walking God's way, not walking in step with him, right? And there's all kinds of ways that we do this, right? I want to challenge you this morning, man, if if financial struggle is a thing for you, examine this. Are are you being a good steward of what God has given you? Because if you're saying, God, I need more. God, you're not taking care of me. God, why haven't you blessed me in this way? And you're not doing what he's asked you to do? Why would he give you more to not do what he's asked you to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so are you tithing? Are you giving 10% of what God has given you back to God? Are you being a good steward or are you wasting that? Are you being generous? Like, examine it. Are you walking with God? And this isn't the only area that we do this in, right? Uh, relationships is another big area uh, that we do this in, right? It's pretty clear uh, through Scripture. If you're a believer and you're looking to enter into a romantic relationship, it's a good idea to find someone who believes the way that you believe, who will walk with you, right? The Scripture talks about being equally yoked. And so it's a good principle to say, hey, I want somebody who who believes the same thing I do about God, who's going to help me walk with God, who's going to put God first in our relationship. Uh, And that is kind of God's plan for you in your marriage, in your relationships. And if you don't do that, and you go, you kind of fall off the map and go, hey, you know, that's a great plan, that's a great thought, but this person's really cute, and so that's going to come secondary. And then you blame God, going, God, why is my relationship so hard? Why, can't the, why doesn't this person want to go to church with me? Well, they didn't want to go to church with you before. 
I mean, you made that choice. You stepped into that. You decided not to follow God's plan. You did that. You walked that way. And so you have to ask the question, am I in step with God? Man, it's going to get real, really serious here for just a second, man, okay? If you are married, if you are a married man, you need to listen to this right now. Because the biggest hindrance to your marriage is what you are looking at. I'm not even kidding. If you're going, God, why don't I have a good marriage? And you're looking at porn every night, that's why. If, you're, if you don't have a good marriage and you're looking around going, man, that would be better, that would be better, that would be better, I'd prefer that. If that's what you're doing, of course you don't have a good marriage. Stop blaming God for that. Walk with him. Do the thing that he's asked you to do and let him bless you in that area. So many men, so many women are struggling in their relationships because they're not doing what God asked them to do. And I'm telling you, if you would just step into what God wants for you, what he has for you, it's not, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's definitely going to be a battle. But right now, you're, you're trying to fight the battle not walking with God. The battle's going to come one way or the other. Either you can fight the battle walking with God or you can fight the battle apart from God. And wouldn't you rather fight it with God? So are you in step with God. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are we walking with the Spirit? Are we following God? Are we doing what God has asked us to do? Are we staying in step with Him? Or are we walking in the ways of the world and expecting a different result? The first question we ask, am I in step with God? Now, if that's the first question, how are you going to know? How are you going to know if you're in step with God? Unless you know what God's will is. Unless you know what his word says. Unless you know what he's commanded you to do. Unless you know what he's asking of you. Unless you know the direction that he has for you in his word. So this is why it's so important to be in relationship with God. To spend time listening to him every day. God, what do you have for me today? God, where are you leading me today? God, what is your word saying to me today? So many of us uh, have have started reading, uh, along with Pastor Darren and the rest of the church, this reading plan that the church is doing. If you don't have a good Bible reading plan, I would encourage you to do this one because we're reading five days a week monday through friday uh, and then journaling uh, with some questions that pastor darren has given us to kind of explore that passage and i've heard testimony after testimony people stepping into this going it's changing my life it's changing the way i see god it's changing my relationship with him it's changing my ability to follow him it's changing my ability to stay in step with the spirit but you got to know his word. you got to know him. You've got to know what he wants in order to do that. So it's so critical that we do that. Are you walking with God? Are you in step with God? Now, this isn't the only problem that we have. It's the first one. It's the easiest one to diagnose. It's often a common problem for us, but it's not the only one. As we jump back into the story, what we find uh, is God begins to hand out consequences for what's happened. And so he says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we know that this is prophecy. This is prophesying the time when Jesus will come and will defeat Satan once and for all. And that happened on the cross. But what we find here is that there's enmity between the woman and her, and her offspring and the enemy. There's still a battle being waged. There's still bad blood there. And, and I can testify personally that this holds, not, this holds true not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the physical realm with physical snakes, um, at least with my wife. It does. Um, and so um, I'm just telling you, it's a joke, right? It's okay to laugh in church. Relax a little. Come on. 
Anyway, so what we find is that there's still an enemy after this. There's still this bad blood between um, Satan and God's creation, God's children. There's still this kind of war going on. And so the next question that we have to ask is this. Is the enemy attacking me, right? So when times get hard, we examine the cause. We first ask, am I in step with God? If I'm in step with God, I'm doing the right things that I'm supposed to be doing in this area. I'm keeping my eyes clean. I'm doing the right things financially. My relationships are in good place. I'm parenting well. You know, all those things I'm, I am. I'm walking in step with God. Things are still difficult. Why? Maybe, maybe, not always, but maybe the enemy is attacking you. Maybe the enemy has come against you. Now, the, the challenge with this particular phrase is that uh, as I've met people who've stepped into this, uh, there, tend to be, there tends to be two camps. The one camp says everything is the enemy's fault, right? So my, my, I had the brake problem on our trip to Kansas. Uh, man, the enemy's just attacking you. No, he's not. I forgot to put the bolt in. Like, that's not the enemy coming at me. Like, tires go flat. That's like, you run over a nail, a tire goes flat. It's just a natural consequence. It's not necessarily the enemy coming against me. The other camp says, well, nothing is ever the He's been completely defeated, and so he's not doing anything. And, and I, I would argue that the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And so examining our enemy, we can understand uh, a little bit better how the enemy comes at us. Um, I want to take a look at this passage. We, we've been in Ephesians uh, prior to this series for a long time, and so you'll remember this from just a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Darren led us through uh, the, the, um, the armor of God, and, and so I want to kind of go back to that and say um, right here, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it's, it's clear here, this is post-Jesus, this is Paul writing to the church that the devil is still attacking. He still has schemes, he's still scheming against us, right? So how do we combat that? How do we examine that and how do we move forward in it? Well, I would argue that my experience, my study of scripture has led me to this conclusion. That almost every single time the enemy attacks, it's in the form of a liar. That's what he is. He's a liar, and he comes at us with lies over and over and over again. And so uh, this happened uh, to Michelle and I just a couple of weeks ago uh, as we were uh, working on our house. Um, Those of you who are married, uh, I want to challenge you. If you would like to stay married, maybe don't renovate your house with your wife. Um, If you want to test your marriage, by all means, go ahead. Um, those of you who are dating, my single friends, you want to figure out if this is the one, just find a house. It doesn't have to be yours. Just, just break in, start doing homework, home improvement projects, man, and you'll know. You'll know quickly whether or not you can survive this, okay? Um, and so my wife and I are painting in the kitchen, and, um, and, and I love painting so much. And uh, my wife and I are very different. We have very different styles when it comes to painting. I'm going to leave it at that. And... Uh, and so we're painting, the tension is high, we're, ma- we're managing though, we're navigating it okay. Um, and then um, something happens, we're having a conversation while we're painting, and she says something about, hey, did you take care of this thing? And I'm like, yeah, I tried to, I couldn't get it done, uh, so it- it's going to be probably another couple of weeks before I get to it. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, we need that done. And I'm going, I, I know we need it done, but I couldn't do it. And she's like, well, well what are we going to do? And-, and here's what happened, right? My wife is trying to solve a problem with me. That's what's happening. That's, that's reality right here, okay? But here comes the enemy. And what does the enemy say to me in that moment? What's he come and whisper right there on the heels of that comment? She thinks you're a terrible husband. 
She thinks you're a worse father. She thinks you cannot provide for or take, you can't even do this simple task. That's what she said. She says, I can't believe that I can't trust you with this simple little thing, right? This is the enemy lying to me, right? And so now what do I do? I take those lies in and I respond to the lies. And I go, why didn't you take care of it? And if you've been married for longer than six days, you know that at that point, it's on, (laughs) right? Now, praise God. He was good to us. He was gracious to us on this particular day. And we stopped talking. (laughs) This is my number one advice to married people. When you start bickering, just stop talking. Give it five, ten minutes, okay? Because here's what happens, right? The liar wants you to fight, and he will whisper reasons for you to fight and disunify you when you're in the middle of it. So if you just stop talking, he'll stop talking. And then you could kind of find the truth, and that's what happened to us. I stopped talking. She stopped talking. We, we kept painting, you know. You could probably see the brush strokes if you come to my house. <laughs> and we finished painting, and, we, and, and you know, five, ten minutes go by, and, and all of a sudden, here's, here's God whispering to me going, you know, she didn't actually say that. I'm like, well, well yes, she did. He goes, no, no, not really. And, I, and I'm thinking through the conversation, I'm like, you're right. You're right. This, like, man, I just, I got completely tricked into believing this thing. So I went back, and I apologized, and she apologized, and we hugged, and we successfully painted the kitchen. Hallelujah. All right. Still married. Going to be married for, for several more years, decades probably. Um, and so uh, as long as we don't have to paint another house, we're fine. So um, we're good, though. We're good. All right. So, uh, but this is what happens, right? This is how the liar comes. And we know this. This is how the liar came against Jesus. When Jesus was led into the desert to be uh, in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, he was tempted. He was led out there to be tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him. And what do we see over and over again? Satan takes the truth and twists it. Takes the truth and twists it. Takes the truth and twists it. That's what he does with Eve in the garden. He took the truth of what God said and twisted it to sound just enough like the truth that she would buy it. That she would believe it and that she could hook him with it. Right? That he could hook her with it, rather. Uh, And so um, that's what he does, though. This is how the liar comes. And so if we want to know how to defeat that, how to come against that, uh, our best example is Jesus himself. When the enemy came against Jesus that way, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, actually, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And and I'll just be honest with you guys, man. Every time I come up here to preach, the night before, like, uh, those of you who who are prayer warriors, I'm just going to boldly ask you right now uh, to pray for your pastor who's preaching the next day. Because I will tell you right now, I slept about four hours last night, and that was intermittent over the course of about eight hours, right? So I slept, woke up, slept, woke up, slept, woke up. Why? Enemy doesn't want you to hear this. I believe with all my heart that there was something against me and waking me up, causing me anxiety. And here's what he says in the middle of the night. You can't preach. You can't do that. What makes you think you can stand up there and talk to those people? What gives you the authority? Don't you know what you did? Don't you know what sins you've committed? Don't you know how guilty you are? Man, if they knew, they would all walk out on you. This this is the enemy coming at me, right? This is how he comes at me. And I'll tell you, so this is what I have to do. This This is the response. I go, okay, okay, I can't do that. You're right. You're right, actually. I can't do that. 
But it is written. It is written. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It is. I am guilty. I'm guilty of more sins than you would possibly imagine. But it is written that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It is written. And this is a big one for a lot of us. It is written. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called sons and daughters of God. And when I stand on the identity of sonship and forgiveness and grace, then I can stand here and say, this is what my father says to you. This is what my father wants for you. This is the God who loves us and who has great things for us. And so we stand on the truth. This is what Paul said in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guys, in order to wield that spirit, uh, to wield that sword, you've got to know it. You've got to know what the word of God is. You've got to know what he says. You've got to know his promises. You've got to know his truth. So that when the diagnosis reveals the enemy is lying to me, you know what truth to come back at him with. Does that make sense? It's so important that we know God's word for this reason. But I'll tell you what, as we look at this, guys, this, this is just two of the things that, that, that cause us uh, to have hardships, that cause things to be difficult, that cause times to get rough. These are just two of them. There are two more causes. We're going to look at those next week. And what I want to caution you with is these two are actually the easy ones. We have the most control in these two areas. We have the most authority in these two areas. We can do something about not walking with God. We can do something with the truth when the enemy comes at us with lies. We can do something about those. Next week, it's going to get even harder. I want to encourage you to come back uh, because there are difficult things that we still haven't unpacked. Uh, But for today, for today, what you need to know is this. When times get hard, examine the cause. Are you in step with God? Is the enemy attacking you? And either way, how do you lean into God? When times get hard, you examine the cause and then lean into God. Maybe the enemy's lying to you and you lean into the truth of his word. Maybe You're not walking with him. You're not in step with God, and you lean into God by going, God, I know there's grace and forgiveness to be found, and I can change today with your help. God, I can step into your will. And so I want to encourage you, when times get hard, when things get difficult, examine the cause. What do you need to do? Do you need to get in step with God? Do you need to to step into what he has for you? Some of you in this room right now, have never made a decision to be in step with God in the first place. There's a lot of us in this room who, who accepted Christ as our Savior. We, we surrendered to him when we were young, maybe as kids or maybe a few years ago. Uh, but we've made Jesus our Lord and Savior, and we, we kind of get off track sometimes. And it's important for us to examine and get back in step with God. But for some of you, man, you have never made that decision to walk with him. You've never made that decision to surrender your life to him. And here's what I want you to understand. Your life is going to be difficult. Accepting Jesus isn't a magic pill to make it easy. In fact, it might make it harder. But here's the thing. Your life is going to be difficult. You are going to face hard times. You can either face them alone or you can face them with the God of the universe 
who loved you so much, who wanted so desperately for you to be a son or a daughter of his, who wanted to bring you into his family so incredibly with everything that he had that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, the only one who ever did. And he took all the sin and all the guilt and all the shame for all those who would call on him as Savior. And he took it to the cross. He died. He died the death that I deserve, the death that you deserve. The eternal separation from God that we deserve was laid on Jesus. The wrath of God towards us for not obeying, for not walking in step with him, for not doing what God asked us to do. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on that cross. And he died. He was buried. And three days later, God raised him from the grave. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. So that when God looks at us, Jesus is right there to go, no, that's one of mine. No, I took that one. I got that one. And so when God looks at us, he no longer sees our missteps. He no longer sees our sinfulness. He sees a son, a perfect son, a perfect daughter of his who's been brought into his family. And some of you this morning need to make that choice for the first time. To walk in step with God. To make the decision to move into that life. 